0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Wage Cinema. I'm Jack Andrew, and uh, this week I thought uh, it might be interesting as our main subject uh, to do a little throwback. I don't know if we'll do this every year, but last April, I uh, happened, Andrew and I happened to watch uh, some horror movies around the same time, and so we made a podcast about it. It was called Horror in April. Uh, you can go back into the archives and check about it. Uh, we watched. Uh, or I watched It Follows, um, Tenebre, uh, John Carpenter's The Ward, and then we both watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
1: Yeah, that was that was the first time I'd seen che- Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. The now, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, by the way, is probably going to be a cinema immersion tank for me.
0: Oh god. So you guys really? have
1: that to look forward to.
0: Are you? I'm just curious. Are you going to do that? Like, now you watch. Sometimes when you watch movies, you watch them in your bedroom. When and your bedroom doesn't have air conditioning, and in the summer it gets hot, it are does. You gonna, are you gonna try to have like a 4D experience where you try <laughs> to make yourself as hot as the characters in the movie? I am not,
1: I am not gonna try to do that, but
0: I you know you are going to do it. I know
1: of people who like to in the winter watch The Thing
0: with all the windows open. Ooh. With their coats on. Well, that's like when I was. Well, that's like. And, well, that's like last summer when I. And this wasn't intentional, but last summer I saw Apocalypse Now in the theater, and the air conditioner was broken. So, it it was like I really felt like I was in the jungle. By with the those end guys. of that, you were
1: hallucinating like
0: Martin Sheen. I well like Dennis Hopper. I, well, I was like reciting. Uh, this is the way the world ends. Look at this shit we're in, man. <laughs> Not with a bang whimper. And with that, Jack, I'm fucking splitting. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I was basically Dennis Hopper. What are they gonna say, movie. man? He was a kind man. He but... was a wise man. He had plans. He had wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis just, Hopper. He was so great in that because he just slips into things like, he was a kind man. He was wise man. I should have been a, a pair of claws scuttling across the floor. Like, <laughs> 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 where's that come from? But the point is, um, I wanted to talk about some more horror movies. You know,
1: it is actually important to do it in April because I mean it's another six months until October, so it's basically ah, the half year good mark. Point. Yeah. So I, I didn't mean, think about that, you, you can we're gonna have our big horror.
0: We'll probably talk about shindig, horror movies again, of course, in October. But I
1: mean, we need something to tide ourselves over.
0: Yeah, or or at least I didn't. A, a friend of a friend of mine, or a friend of my wife's, uh, wanted to watch some horror movies that she had never seen before, and. I actually had never seen two of these movies, um, and so it gave me a good chance. And then I watched one of my own. Uh, but let's let's get started with you talking renegade. about... You renegade. I know. Uh, and luckily, you've seen a few of these. Most of them. Yeah, there's only one that I watched, which you don't really... And I'll, I'll only talk about that briefly. Get it out um, of the way. You know what? I'll start with it. Uh, I watched Lucio Fulci's City of the Living Dead. I've actually
1: thought of seeing this. I saw I saw a trailer for it and I thought maybe this is something I should see.
0: Well, I've I've seen a number of his movies by now and I've uh I've liked some and not liked some more than others. Uh I know we talked about Zombie, yeah, and uh The Beyond on the podcast. Um I actually liked The Beyond quite a bit. I liked it more than you did. Um I think that's fair to say. Um See the Living Dead. Um more or less, I liked it. Uh, I want to give a movie. I, I kind of said in my review that I wanted to give the movie more of a break because of how Fulci and his crew make this town of Dunwich, uh, which you might think that's about witches. No, and, no, that's
1: from Lovecraft.
0: Yeah, that is more from, from Lovecraft, I think, than that. Um, and it's it, they make the the city, it's or the town that it's set in, really eerie, more of and a municipality, foggy. really. Yeah, it's genuinely spooky. And for much of the second half, you're you you know you're kind of immersed in this place where the dead are just rising up. Um, it's a living dead movie, but it's not connected to the Romero films. It's a zombie movie, and it doesn't involve the eating of the flesh. So I think that's why I knew about this movie, I think, going back many years ago, but I never watched it because I'd heard the scuttlebutt that it was not that good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I remembered, too, early on when I was watching A good deal of zombie movies. I watched, he did a sequel, uh, Zombie 3, which as bad, you know, you might think the original zombie's not very good, but this... Oh, it's not. Zombie 3 is really bad. Zombie 3, all I remember about that movie is that it's about, like, this zombie takeover city, but there's, like, a radio announcer who's narrating most of it. Um, that sounds like a really cheap
1: way to shoot a movie.
0: Yeah, well, in this movie, they don't really eat the flesh or the brains. They the dead come back to life and will just put fingers into your skull and take out part of your brain, and then that's it. That's and they lame. just go on their shuffling, makeup-covered ways. Um, <laughs> there are some character there, and I said in my review there are supposedly characters here. Um, you know, it's they're they're pretty stock. Um, there are a few scenes of... I think that what did make me kind of interested was just how they staged some of the gore effects and the killings. Yeah, There's, I mean, I
1: don't like Lucio Fulci's movies. That the ones but that the seen. man can make some nightmare fuel. Oh, I, God. The cover yeah. of Zombie. I mean, if I was ten years old and I saw that in a video store, which... Pretty, yeah. which dates me pretty well, that's, well
0: well that's what happened to me when but, I saw a zombie in a movie, in a, in a video store I really thought seeing that that was like oh god I can never watch that that, yeah. looks, that looks like for, that's really for adults <laughs> um, you know not like these George Romero movies um, but uh you know, there's a damn lot of stuff I mean, heads crushed, torsos and abdomens punched through a head is drilled uh, limbs get cut or sawn into. Um, and the opening involves, like, a priest who is hung from a tree. So, yeah, it's really good for Nightmare Fuel. There are some really jarring jump cuts. This is the kind of movie where all of a sudden a zombie just appears in a room, <laughs> and they do it through the magic of jump cut editing, which is kind of interesting. <laughs> the score is a little you, bit... You know, what I would say,
1: you know what I would say we should do at this point, uh-huh. I, if we were more technically savvy? Yeah. We'd do a cut to where we were just fighting a zombie on the podcast,
0: <laughs> and we'd just be like rustling things around and bumping things. It's like,
1: oh no, yeah.
0: I think if Edgar Wright was directing our podcast. He'd probably do that. Oh, Edgar, yes, Edgar. Call us,
1: call us. We we want, we love you. Scott Pilgrim was great.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, you know, it's. I wonder if maybe I don't know if there could have been a solution if this was a longer cut. I think like. You know, it's basically the story is, you know, bit bunk. It's like, let's throw in a psychic and a, throw in a psychologist and a detective uh, who can read people's minds. And <laughs> we'll throw in lots of close-ups of eyeballs looking tense as, like, a psychic is reading somebody's mind about the dead coming back to life. And, again, again it doesn't really matter. The writing yeah. is pretty weak, but atmosphere-wise, it's actually really solid. So I'm, I'm. It's a mixed rating. That if you decide, if you really are a fiend for Italian horror movies, you know you're gonna come across it. You know, there's just no gang around it. You know, Fulci's one of those mainstays of, uh, of that thing. And he, again, he, I like a number of his movies uh, very much, like The Beyond, and also this movie, The House by the Cemetery, which sounds very bland yeah. and generic, but it's actually quite good. Um, and somehow, yeah, but then he also has a lot of bad movies, like I, like, I think Zombie is kind of a bad movie, even though, for me, it was fun, watching a zombie fight a shark. There is kind of a, the line between fun and bad does get blurred, so, oh, sorry about your case. Um, yeah, so there's that, um, he also, like I said, Zombie 3 is pretty bad, he made a movie that I watched years ago called Sadama's Ghost, which I really thought was bad, um, I mean, again, he has so many movies that, you know, he, he, and he went outside the genre too. He made a movie called The New Gladiators, which from the trailer looks like it should have been like a Mystery Science Theater movie. Yeah. Like, it not, I don't mean that in any way of saying like, oh, it's that bad. No, just quality wise, it looks like something you saw in Mystery Science Theater. Like, like Space I Machine. got what you mean. All right. So that was City of Living Dead. Uh, Fulci, you know, I give it like three out of five heads. Right. That's our rating system. All right. Yeah. I don't know. For why not? All right. So I want to talk though about Candyman. 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 No, is... <laughs> yeah. We don't want. To, we don't want to make this podcast too that, crazy. That was close. Yeah. I mean, we saw what happened to Ted Raimi. Yeah. Um. So this movie. I mean, as we, I know you talked about this on the podcast before, but Philip Glass. Philip Glass, man. Man. What a, I don't know who this, this director, this guy Bernard Rose, he didn't really do that much after this, but the smartest decision he made was to get Philip Glass. Because I'll be damned, this is the third, I think this might be my third favorite horror score ever. It's, it a movie. is fantastic. like after, like I mean, you have Psycho, and you have Halloween. Mm-hmm. But then after that, I think you might put Candyman there.
1: Yeah, and it's a pity that more people don't know about this because I mean, Philip Glass, he's a great composer uh, of of very uh, mood music,
0: you could say. Yeah, like,
1: he he's great at setting a mood, but, yeah. and, but but still, the Candyman
0: score that he did is very distinct from everything else he's done. Well, it's also distinct from other horror movie scores. In large, I mean, at first, yeah, you sometimes might expect you know sort of choral music. In a horror movie. But then that little <laughs> piano that plays yeah. is just really great. That do 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 do. Yeah. You know, it, he uses all of his gifts as a composer in this movie. And it's not like he skimps on anything, he makes it terrifying. You know, you could almost say that a few scenes are made even more sk- frightening because of his score.
1: I think the ending is. Uh, really benefits from, from this, his yeah. score the most. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, even when you're just listening to the credits, like, listening to that music really carries that sort of... The opening credits, you mean?
0: No, I'm talking oh, the about the credits. final
1: credits, when after the film has ended. That Oh, yeah. I, I mean... I don't want to talk about the ending because, but it it, there, well,
0: there's yeah, there's a lot of spoiler territory you can get into.
1: Yeah, but I mean, the, with the characters more. than But even. the ending of Candyman really sticks with me, not just because of what happens, but because of all the implications of what has happened to people and yes. what boundaries they've transcended. Yeah, yeah, and and it makes you feel. It made me feel very melancholy. You know, that that feeling of, you know, you've learned something so much bigger than yourself. And then Philip Glass's music just carries that feeling all the way through the credits.
0: Yeah, it does what a good film score can do. It, it doesn't necessarily dictate your emotions, but it helps to liven, not liven. It provides a bed for your emotions. Bed. That's a good word to use. Bed, yeah. I mean, even just little things, like there are shots where you just watch a... Uh, Virginia Madsen and uh, the little black boy, you know, as they walk across a Cabrini green yeah, and you hear the score there and it's just, okay. I mean, this isn't scary, but there is some kind of ominous thing that's going to happen. And ominousness is a big part of this movie. Um, Seeing it again. I hadn't seen this movie in almost like 20 years. Hmm. It'd been a long time for me. So, So yeah,
1: I'd seen it more recently than you have.
0: Yeah. I mean, the thing though, I would say, there are a lot of images in this movie that do stay with you. Because I was yeah. watching this and I thought, oh my god, I remember that. Oh wow, oh, oh that. Oh god, the bees. Oh, the <laughs> not bees. The, bees! No, you know not the bees! Do you know that he, Tony Todd only had like, a tiny mouth guard? Really? To protect himself from all those bees? Yeah, I,
1: ultimately there is no protection from
0: that many bees. <laughs> I think that the only thing is that maybe... Like, there have been a couple movies where I've heard about where bees have been used, and they've been, like, specially bred. Also, with rats, this happens, too. Where they're specially bred or, you know, made for the movie by, you know, they don't just find a bunch of bees and put them into the movie. And there
1: are certain casting choices you have to make when you're working with bees.
0: Oh, no. Well, there are certain times where, like, I don't think it was Virginia Madsen, but I feel like there was some actor in this movie who was allergic to bees. Oh. Um, which is, yeah, it's usually a terrible thing. Um, yeah, I, I like that one thing that, uh, my wife Corey brought up and I don't know if you brought this up in your view, the idea of a horror movie set in an urban environment and specifically something like this, you know, in the projects of Chicago, not something you usually see in a horror movie.
1: Well, there are, there are horror films that take place in the city, but I don't think any film has well, ever, maybe like
0: *Rosemary's Baby* or something.
1: But I don't like. But I don't think that any film has really taken to the location, used that location to augment its story, because *Candyman* isn't just about. Uh, it isn't just a slasher film.
0: No, it, well, it, it's, it's a little bit more historical because even the Candyman himself. I mean, he's you know uh, from a slave plantation.
1: Yeah, but and it's also it's a film that's also about race, yeah. uh, not just in American history but also in America at the time. I mean, it takes place in it the, was in, the, in place a housing project that doesn't
0: exist anymore. Cabrini Green was bad. Yeah, and it's kind of funny too because as an aside, I I, I showed my students Hoop Dreams again recently, and that shows the Cabrini Green projects in. I don't know if I say a nice light, but, I mean, it doesn't have them in, like, the towers. Like A favorable movie. light. <laughs> well, I mean, it shows it more in a optimistic story of, oh, here are these teenagers. Let's see what happens to them if they make it as college basketball players. No, this story is more like, here are some parts. If you go into this building, it's very likely you could be killed. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's... it's it... <laughs>
0: And, you know, it, you it know, sets it's... up an environment, but I guess the point that I'm trying to make, though, is, is it more difficult, like, is there maybe a reason why, you know, the, the, the stereotype, I don't know if stereotype the right word, but the convention, have a horror movie set in, like, a rural area, or in an area where there isn't, there's a lot of space?
1: Well, I think we talked about this in our last April podcast, you know, there is a lot of power in the rural uh, setting. I mean, I I talked about when I was working in a, in in the country. I mean, it feels like a place where a, a family of homicidal maniacs could exist and not be detected.
0: <laughs> I'm not I'm not knocking
1: I'm not knocking you country. I'm, I'm, peoples. i i, I
0: <laughs> we have to now issue an apology on our Twitter to all people from uh,
1: from rural America
0: from like. Uh, West Pancake, Missouri, or something like that.
1: Now you have to apologize to West
0: Pancake, Missouri, for
1: for patronizing them. I'm sorry, them.
0: you guys have such great pancakes. Um, but no, but I'm guessing but, though, but I'm wondering though, the point is, I mean, is it that maybe well, there's too much? There are too many people around in like a urban environment. Locations are easy to get in the country. That 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 might be. Uh, true.
1: You basically have a place to yourself to shoot. Mm. Uh, so that really solves a lot of logistical problems. Yeah. I mean, you, you have to be a serious production to get the permits and get the city cooperation uh, to yeah, film yeah. in a city.
0: Yeah, well it F- depends on the city. Plus I, I it does
1: benefit from certain plot things. I mean
0: If there you, are a lot of people <laughs> around, like if you have like a ghost story set in an apartment complex, you know, wouldn't other neighbors suddenly hear like the ghost rumbling about or I think maybe things like Although, that.
1: Although, I mean, there have been films like... Um, damn it, what was that film? The one that was really weird. Uh, the one with...
0: <clears throat> Do you want to go back to it? We can come back to it later.
1: No, uh, let, well, let me think of it just for a minute. I'm not even going to worry it about it new? Is it old? No, it's old. It's. It takes place in an apartment. Eva, Eva Gardner is in it.
0: Eva Gardner? Really? And
1: and Eli Wallach and Christopher Walken as cops. Oh, The Sentinel. The Sentinel. That's it. That <laughs> takes place in a city with uh, uh, with a haunted apartment building. But also, there's The Tenant, which has you know all sorts of supernatural.
0: Is that really a supernatural?
1: It takes movie? place in a city.
0: That's a little bit more of like a paranoid thriller type movie.
1: I, I won't talk about those. All right, though, all right.
0: But the point is, though, I but feel like it's Candyman it, uses its
1: location really well. It, it be, yeah, and its location is not just well-shot and, and well-utilized. It's part of the theme of the It's part of the, of the fabric
0: of the story. Yeah. The idea that, you know, you have this woman, Virginia Madsen, goes into this building uh, to try to find out more things about the Candyman, even though murders have happened there. Yeah, and she's
1: looking into this urban legend of Candyman, which is kind of like our real-world equivalent of, like, Bloody Mary and... Yeah, uh, or, or Beetlejuice. <laughs> I thought Beetlejuice. Or Beetlejuice. <laughs> uh, but you know, it, she's trying to research it for her, her paper, and ultimately that leads to very dark places.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, lots of uh, things that happen, and uh, Yeah, just a lot of imagery in this movie. Just I remembered things that I didn't expect to remember, like, uh, and this isn't a real spoiler, but there's one moment where Virginia Madsen takes off her clothes, and it's not sexy really mm. at all. And you would think. Ooh, Virginia Madsen. She's she's kind of attractive at this point in her life, you know, big boobs. No, she's covered in blood. <laughs> You're all boobs tonight. Not not a movie that you would want to necessarily have sex to in a movie theater. <laughs> all right, we'll, we'll cross that one off the list. But no, I was I was pretty impressed by this movie. Seeing yeah. it again, it's it's it you know defied, it, it has yeah it, it has it, it it's trying to do something different yeah than the average like. It, serial killer slasher movie. It defies expectation, especially with Candyman himself. His whole Tony attitude. Todd. To, yeah, Tony Todd, who's so good in this movie. Uh, he's not in it that much, but when he comes in, you know, you know, it's, they they use him judiciously. Yeah, when he does come in, it's like okay, here he is. Yeah. Um, Whenever
1: he's on screen, he makes his presence known. And what I love about this is like the one time we like we actually the first time we see him. Where Tony Todd is on screen in the parking lot. In the parking lot. Yeah, it's not a close up. It's that medium shot thing, and I always love yeah the medium shot of something scary where you cannot see it close enough to really
0: identify it. Well, the point of view of that whole scene is so terrific because you know it's from her point of view, and yet as the scene goes on, then you get like a close up of her face, and it's. You know, she's being drawn into his...
1: And it takes place in the middle of the day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's like, you know, it's it, things can be scary in the middle of the day as if they're I bet framed if you, well. I
1: bet if you made a list of the best horror films, yeah. most of them would have scenes that their scariest scenes took place in broad daylight. Yes. Texas Chainsaw Massacre.
0: Mm, well, a lot of that takes place at night. Well, half of it takes place at night. Some of the scary stuff. I mean, well, when the scary stuff takes place, it's inside a house or at the very end, you know, when things are just crazy. Yeah. You know. Um, that would be worth making a list of, though. Yeah. Also, I think Virginia Madsen's performance is pretty good, too. Yeah. Um, I mean, There aren't a lot of...
1: I I hesitate to even think of a, a big name in this film.
0: Aside from Virginia Madsen?
1: Well, I mean, what has she's Virginia an, she's Madsen name. done?
0: It's a sideways. She's an Oscar-nominated actress. Like I, I, care. Can o- <laughs> I can only I can
1: only think of her You're... from from Candyman.
0: Well, I guess that shows. What how was she o-
1: What was she nominated an Oscar for? I just said sideways. Oh, it was sideways?
0: Yeah. Oh, it's been. I, I've only seen. She hasn't sideways, been that so. much stuff. She was in Dune. <laughs> she's actually the very first thing you see in dune like you see just like an like her head kind of comes at the screen and she gives some like (laughs) bloated exposition about spice like the beginning of zardoz yeah a little bit hey hey. yeah that's
1: another cinema immersion tank to look forward to. high five zardoz reference score
0: you're really gonna watch zardoz i'm gonna do zardoz uh well hope you have a life preserver (laughs) Oh, I... <laughs> all right. Yeah. Let's let's move on from uh from from uh, from Candyman though, because I want to talk about Hellraiser. Hellraiser. All right. So... Now
1: Hellraiser, it occupies that moment in horror history when in the '80s when it was, he's like one of the big three. Like uh, you know what? Think, if you think I... about like the 1930s when like there was Universal horror films, there were there was um... Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy. Dracula, and they became
0: like they—they symbolize horror in their time. No, yeah, well, no, you didn't have to say big four. What? You said the big three. Okay, you're pulling a Blade Runner now. Sorry, <laughs> but then you no, get the Michael—you have Michael Myers, Freddy Krueger, Jason uh, Voorhees, and then and then Pinhead. Well, the thing that's interesting though, you say all that act, you know, that, that you get the impression that Pinhead is supposed to be this big deal. Um, but that's because of how much Pinhead has been pushed on our generation as this icon. And I think it's largely because of his look. Because yeah. he's a guy who has nails on his head. He just looks like he's in such pain all he the time. He is iconic. He, he looks is... iconic, but like when you actually watch the original Hellraiser, though... He's just one of a group. He is a, he is a tiny part. He's part. He of is the, the leader of that group, but you're right. He is one. He's part of, of the group. cenobites. Uh, you know, he's not like the story's not really about him in the way that those other horror movies are. You know, extensively about their characters coming after someone. Like you barely like, yeah. You you see Pinhead in the movie, but I'd say he maybe takes up at most like a quarter of the runtime. Yeah, he's
1: like he's like Hannibal
0: Lecter in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, like the movie is really closer to to me. It's a little bit more like, uh, it's a little bit more like Creep Show or something. Hmm. Like a little bit like an, a a featuring version of a Creep Show episode, or like some type of EC horror comic. Because well, oh, um,
1: I see what you're getting at. Yeah, it's it's not. It's more about these weird kind of
0: relationships, like EC comics did. Yeah.
1: And the murderousness that happens yeah, around. Yeah, because them.
0: for those of you who don't know, Hell the movie Hellraiser is all about this guy who gets this box, which uh God, what was the name of it? It's this little tiny box that has does all this weird stuff. And he gets the box and opens it up, and that's when he's, you know, tortured by these Cenobites. But he escapes because he's still a tiny little Presence inside of the house that he's been in. His brother moves into the house with his uh, uh, wife and uh, their and her and uh, his, his daughter. daughter. His daughter, not her daughter. Like it's 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 another wife. It hits his second wife. But what happens is you find out through very elaborate flashbacks that her former lover was his brother. Right, like before years passed and. The story He's, itself is kind of confusing. The story is kind of like a lifetime movie in a way because the as a life it's a horror movie cuz like the the husband cuts his hand in, like, this room, the blood trickles down and literally recreates this guy. Yeah. And so it becomes a little bit, I mentioned Creepshow, I also was reminded of Little Shop of Horrors, (laughs) because you have to keep on, because the guy is basically like, feed me! And you have to keep bringing, you know, the, the wife you she know, needs to just, keep
1: bringing in people for him to kill.
0: Yeah, because, yeah. you know, he, you know they have to be together because they that's their real love. Also, um, he has no flesh on his bones. Yeah, like, <laughs> every time, like, she brings home somebody and knocks him out, like, the guy out and kills him, this undead guy assimilates with this other guy so that he can gain more flesh. And the yeah. idea is that, you know, also we have to keep this secret so the Cinnabites don't... Figure. I call them the Cinnabites because... The know, Cinnabons? They're so tasteful. Um...
1: I, but, um, it, but it's
0: also weird, like to try to figure out. This could have been a comedy. Yes, I like this. Could have this reminded me? It's a garish Black Death, little shop of horrors type thing. I mean, it's h- rather nightmarish, but it's not your typical slasher movie.
1: Yeah. And it's hard to figure out. Like, it's hard to figure out who our protagonist is because Pinhead, he's only there for a little while. Can't he he's he's tertiary. I, yeah, like I said, then... I,
0: I think that Pinhead. He was a he. He was so distinctive looking that I think the people involved in the marketing, you know, that was almost their kind of decision. Like, all right, this guy looks so out there, even though there are these other because there are other Cenobites in the movie, yeah. who you know are pretty freaky looking too, yeah. Um, and I think I've, i when I saw them in the movie, I'm like, oh, I remember seeing that guy in the f- action figure section. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's not really about them. It's more about this familial murder drama yeah. which um and you think
1: that maybe you're gonna latch on to the daughter because she's the yeah. one who's uh uh yes yeah, she, she's the one who's at, a little bit at like... risk and, and suspicious of things but we spend very little time with her until too. the third act yeah i mean, most of it is focused upon on the wife <sighs> And her former lover. So in a sense, she's supposed to be our protagonist, but we can't. Really but she's not, her. Ident- no. she's not a very she's not very
0: sympathetic character. She's killing people so that her dead lover can regenerate. Yeah, <laughs> it's here that I mean, there's a lot of grotesquerie in this movie. Yes. That's the thing that I would describe this movie. It's grotesque. Um, and you know, the young actress who plays the daughter does her best as actress Ashley Lawrence. But by a certain point. It just seems that they're at the mercy of the oddness of the script, and uh, I feel like this movie. I guess it's it gained a reputation among horror fans because it's of its got, grotesqueness, because yeah. it's so garish. You know, like the last like ten minutes, there's just so much much wild imagery because you know you're getting right into Clive Barker's mind. Right, and Clive Barker, by the way, he also I think wrote uh, Candyman. He did. And I think Candyman's a better movie. Hell it laser, is, yes. honestly. But, uh I mean, I don't think this is necessarily a totally bad movie. Uh, it was kind of fun. It lacks focus. But it lacks... Oh, God, it lacks focus. It's at the... Co- There's no... Sto- There's a lot of story logic here that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Uh, like, the fact that the husband is just so clueless. And, by the way, that actor, though, I really like that actor, because I don't know if you... You haven't seen the original Dirty Harry? No. All well, right. wait a minute.
1: I have seen... The first one? Oh, is it... Cl- there are sequels. So wait a minute, hold on. What is the first movie called? It's just
0: called Dirty Harry. Okay, I've seen that. You have? Yes. The actor Andrew Robinson, who is the Scorpio killer in Dirty Harry, yeah. is the husband in this movie. Oh, cool. And I, I think that actor is awesome. Uh I think he does a good job. And then of course in the last act, without saying too much, he kind of becomes the villain. His rights. What about the rights of that little girl? <laughs> I loved Andrew Robinson so much in uh, uh, in Dirty Harry. He was just <laughs> just having the time of his life yeah. as that homicidal maniac. Um, yeah, so Hellraiser again. I bring up the Lifetime movie comparison because even when they have like the sex scenes, <laughs> God, it's so cheesy. <laughs> it's Clive Barker. He, yeah, you know he he could direct. Certainly, I guess this was originally a book too that he wrote. Um, and you know, again, if you're looking for stuff to make you feel squeamish, this has that, but I wouldn't call it scary. No,
1: I, it's just kind of, uh, it, it's, it, it's a potential and a scary imagery is really just, uh, dissipated by its structure and the fact that you really just can't focus on anybody. I mean... The 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 person the one person you can identify with isn't even present for two-thirds of the film.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit dated, too. Like, the wife is so 80s. Well, like, one of the things that... Well, I know it sounds like a petty thing to complain about, but it's... You know, certain movies hold up pretty well. Like, the, the first Halloween, even though it's 1978, the way that people are dressed and the way that their hair is...
1: No one's disco dancing or wearing platform shoes or... Yeah. It's, it's uh, set in
0: its time, but it's fairly timeless. This movie, yeah. the mother, uh, not the mother, the wife, has two different, um, oh God, what do you call that hairstyle? Um, a mullet. <laughs> <laughs> she has a different mullet in the flashback than the present day mullet, but they're both so distracting. Well, sure, how like... would we know if
1: it was a flashback or not?
0: Because it is. It's when she she was having sex with Frank, uh, whatever his name was. All right. So uh, Hellraiser is what it is. I might check out. Man, the the fascinating thing, though, I will say this. One of the great things, though, is suddenly digging into um, some of the facts and reviews of the sequels. This Hellraiser, I don't know if you know this, has like nine sequels. I knew it had a lot, but I didn't know it was nine it it is crazy like hell like the fact that also with with the exception of maybe like the first two or three movies all of the those the, the other hellraiser sequels were not written as hellraiser movies Ooh. they took scripts for other movies and then retrofitted them to have pinhead in them oh that's and awful it some of the titles of these movies like hellraiser hellworld Hellraiser Revelations, Hellraiser Hellseeker, and my favorite, Hellraiser Deader. What? <laughs> yes! That is a title of a movie! Hellraiser Deader! Oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. And, oh, and by the way, one of these movies, like Hellraiser Revelations, if you look up the trivia on this movie, it's from 2011. It was a movie... You sometimes hear about these movies where, oh, well, Fantastic Four, they made this movie so they could hold on to the rights. This is that movie. Wow. Where they made a movie, they shot a movie and I'm not kidding, 11 days, so they could hold on, the studio could hold on to the rights for the title, Hellraiser.
1: (laughs) Yeah, because it's been such a cash cow up until now. I,
0: most of the movies have gone straight to video, too, um... I'm curious to see the second movie, uh, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2. I hear that's not that bad. Mm. But um, but a number of these movies look like such schlock. And I think I even remember, I think as a younger person, you know, I, I went through a period where I watched a lot of the slasher movies just because, hey, they're the slashers, I'm a young teenager, I need to see these movies. I just, I never felt the need to see Hellraiser. I think Pinhead just looked like he was in such pain. Yeah. You know, that doesn't look like a very comfortable thing to look at, you know, um, to be in like, oh, I'm these pins. I'm going to Cinnabite you. And, um, and I think most of the other Hellraiser movies don't even have the Cinnabites. It's just Pinhead being like, I'm going to mess around with your head and <laughs> make you do evil things. Which, and it's,
1: and it's not as if the character is bad because Pinhead has potential. Has potential. He has this interesting thing where, he's he shows up when he finally does show up in the film yeah you feel like he has his own goals and he's not
0: just out to indiscriminately hurt people no but he no he he, he has this whole code and he, you know when you know he's about to destroy this girl but then she's like no there's this other guy you know it's like who's you know betraying you and it's like i will kill him and yeah. you kind of get where he's coming from because you know this guy is trying to cheat death. Right. In a strange way, it's, there's a tiny bit of final destination to it. Like <laughs> the like the Cenobites are almost like fate, yeah, or something. Um, I, right. I heard a rumor that
1: that Pinhead was supposed to make an appearance at the end of Freddy vs. Jason. Oh God, really? Like, but, uh, the movie ended and then. There would be like a post-credit sequence where Freddy and Jason were like dead and arguing, and then Pinhead would show up and like <laughs> would they just go and eat shawarma? He would be like, <laughs> he would be like the, the Nick Fury of uh, <laughs> of the thing, like show up like guys, I'm, I'm, I've got uh, a plan.
0: I'm Pinhead. We need you to join the agents of horror. Yeah, <laughs> uh, God.
1: that was just a rumor though that I heard just randomly. I gotcha. but you know, yeah. it's
0: not a terrible idea. Maybe, no. If you could get... Uh, well, how you... about a Destroy All Monsters, but with horror movie icons? I don't know. Maybe that wouldn't work with so many horror movie people. Maybe uh, it, it, it's, it's kind maybe... of like, I think the best Destroy All
1: Monsters scenario in terms of horror was done in Cabin in the Woods.
0: Mm, good point. Yeah, that's yeah not where, a where you really have like. a lot of, like, cameos yeah. of things. But yeah, that's, that's a great point. But it was meaningful, too. Yeah, well it also is fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah, great great answer. Thank you. Alright, um that's why I'm that's why you're here. Um so let's move on to the last movie. Last one. Phantasm. Okay, Phantasm. So, now this has a plot. It does. And, and I feel like you can follow it, but it's also really surreal. It is. It, and it throws a lot of incredibly strange things at you. Yeah. And some things are not explained like that metallic ball. No, that is not explained. No. Here let me hear. Your I don't feel help.
1: bad about spoiling Phantasm? Phantasm. But I don't think there's gonna we have to worry about well, that. Well Phantasm Well there is, is the very, thing well there is a thing that happens at the very end. Yeah. Phantasm is very I wouldn't say it's a really good movie, but it's very interesting to
0: me. I, I liked it a lot. I actually had the... A lot of fun watching it. I okay. think it's it's made by... I think Don Coscarelli, who directed it, he right. also did uh, Bubba Hotep and uh, John Dies at the End. Didn't he do Black... No, he didn't do Black Christmas. That was No, no. A Christmas Story. No, that was no. Bob Clark. Oh. <laughs> I got those two no. confused because
1: they were... I think they were both
0: in the same Bravo special about horror films. Uh, maybe that was it. But All no, right. Don Coscarelli... like Watching this movie... I get. I feel like here's somebody who really loves. He's a fan of horror, yeah. and he wants to try to just fill you with scary imagery. Like this is at a time when you know he made this movie in like 1978, 79, when you had the big boom of slasher movies. You know, especially against women. You know, Sisko and Eber had their whole special about it. But this movie is set outside of that. This is more mm. about things that are more otherworldly, literally. You know, the fact of the tall man. You know, who is this guy who keeps on, you know, using corpses for some this, this uh, other guy crazy This guy who works purpose. at the funeral home, who yeah. looks,
1: who just looks menacing without trying to be scary.
0: Yeah, the great, late... Uh, Angus Grimm. Yeah, he he died recently.
1: But here's what I think is really fascinating about... Okay. About... Phantasm. I'm, phantasm, there we go is that it seems to me in retrospect yeah like it operates like a dream in some ways yeah i I've had I've had some pretty weird dreams uh-huh. and I feel like this film has
0: gotten pretty close to approximating the feel of a dream psychologically. In the dreamlike sense, it's cohesive, even though one thing flows to another. Yeah.
1: In a story way, it's not that cohesive because people go to one location and then they travel back to where they came from and then they go to the other location again as if, uh, you know, as if they can't
0: make up their mind. It's funny that you're saying all this because I think that I read that Coscarelli actually got the idea from a dream he had.
1: Huh. For this movie. But and, and there are very weird images that stick with me. Like the first one I can think of is the tall man picking up a casket with one arm yeah. and just shoving it back <laughs> in there. Yeah. And then there are other things like they they're in a store and the main character who is who is a boy looks at a picture which he realizes is of the tall man from several hundred from like a hundred years ago. Yeah. And the picture moves. Like you're looking at a movie, but it's just still the picture, yeah. and no one's like, "Oh, this picture's is is moving." Like that's something that would be in a dream and wouldn't be weird to you.
0: No, no, not at all. I mean, that's. uh I mean, I, I've had some weird dreams lately, but that's. <laughs> 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 um, I mean, some of it's pretty violent. Yeah. Um, with I think...
1: the, like with those silver spears, which again are, spears not spears spheres.
0: Yeah, the spheres that well, I call I call it the metallic ball. The thing that, like, they go into that when they enter into the tall man's place. They go into the area where there are all these places where, I guess, you'd put the cast crypt. crypt. And, yeah, all of a sudden a ball just comes out and latches onto your head and digs into your skull. Yeah. That's terrifying. That is terrifying. There are a lot of terrifying things in this movie. And, like, the first guy does that to? Who is he? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good
1: point. He just comes out of nowhere (laughs) and this thing happens to him and he's never heard from again. Yeah. It's like, again, there's this, I, there's this dream logic that's going where elements
0: and people and
1: locations just pop in and then disappear as soon as they're gone.
0: Yeah. And even little things like, um, the way that all of a sudden, like what's his name? Jody joins Reggie on the front porch and they start playing music. It's like, why are they suddenly doing that? We never see them play music again. But hey, why
1: not? But then it's so, like a, it's like a dream. I had a dream that my friend died and then I was watching the funeral but I wasn't there. I was over on a hill. And, and then the man picked up his casket and put it back in the thing without burying him. And then there was a and guy then I played then, music on the porch with my brother. And then there was a guy <laughs> driving around in an ice cream truck. Yes. And, and um And he got into an accident and he bled yellow blood.
0: Oh god. Yeah. Uh some of this was very funny. But for there me too. are
1: images even though I don't like phantasm a lot there are images and scenes that are frightening and yeah. the one that sticks out in my brain is when he visits his parents crypt
0: oh i'm trying to remember that
1: and the casket oh. is there and he realizes that the tall man has been doing things with people's bodies if he opens up that casket and looks inside one of two things happens yeah. he looks in there and he sees his Mother's corpse, which is horrifying.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Or
1: it's gone, and something terrible has happened to the body of uh-huh. his mother.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of anticipation,
1: and they and that scene
0: plays out. Mm-hmm. That's an effective scene. Yeah, there's a lot of quixotic, harrowing elements in this movie. Um, I mean, there it's not flawless. Like the, no. mu- the, the, the the theme, the music theme gets repetitive. I yeah. felt like um, a little. Some of it's rough around the edges, the way that it's made. That you could tell it was made for a very low budget. I think they maybe only had like a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, and I it mean, shows. Pretty impressive for they what do they a lot with it. With. I like though one thing I really like though about the movie it gives you intrigue into a much larger world. Yeah, and it teases you just enough so that you can wonder, huh? What was that? Like, this is a case where, like, Don Coscarelli really had no plans to make this a franchise. He ended up making a sequel maybe, like, nine or ten years after this, uh-huh. just because it gained kind of, like, this cult following, and rightfully so, because when you finally get revealed to certain little secrets behind the door, so to speak, in the Tall Man's Crypt, and you're suddenly dropped into this whole area and it's literally maybe just for all thirty seconds where you see I think Reggie is the one, the ice cream guy who goes into this other world. Yeah. And you see this it's like the shot in such a way where it's like a the color schemes get turned on its head and all of a sudden he comes back up and it's like, what the hell is that? Yes. I I I love that. I love when a filmmaker can genuinely tease you, but it's not something that feels cheap it feels like something that oh this is really creative this is something huh i want to see where this whole saga goes
1: yeah i unfortunately the dream the structure of a dream is not conducive to an entertaining
0: film um and well it depends on how and what kind of entertainment you're looking for <laughs> uh i don't know maybe you're right but Again, I, it,
1: I feel like it's this... not it's not moholland
0: drive obviously well moholland drive had a structure and it had a climax of sorts. and I feel like Phantasm kind of has a structure. It's just that, you know, it's still a low-budget horror movie. It's still, again, when I say rough around the edges, you know, some of the acting is not strong across the board. Which Mulholland Drive is. Yeah, Mulholland Drive is by a master filmmaker. Don Coscarelli wasn't a master filmmaker. He was a very talented amateur filmmaker. I mean, it's not fair to compare Don Coscarelli to David Lynch. No, but we're talking about Uh, dreams. That's why I brought up that example, because that was a movie that worked in dream logic. Yeah. Um, Well...
1: I see your point now. Yeah.
0: But, again, I also found it very scary, like, in ways. It built up suspense at times very well. It's a Again, gr- with that funeral come home-come-temple. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, I almost see more like a temple. And, um, maybe in a sense it reminded me a little bit also of some of Sam Raimi's early films. Hmm. The fact that in the Evil Dead movies you're sometimes, you know, the way that the Book of the Dead works, it's like this otherworldly object. Um... Hmm. So again, it's like a, a you know he he's phantasm's working more on a horror level that's more literary in a way than something that people are used to seeing. So I think that's something also in context that I appreciated too.
1: I think it's also a good horror film for children. Really, you think so? Yeah, it's not too bloody. Oh well, no, wait, it, way, it be, is. Never mind. Yeah, what are you talking about?
0: Hey, Billy, you want to check
1: out Phantasm? Okay, sure. not not young children. I'd say, like, if you're going to start
0: kids off on horror films... Like, you heard it here, Perks. Reached... Andrew, seal of approval. This may be watched by children. All right, let me... Let me...
1: It was kind of dumb for me to jump into that, but let me clarify. Okay, uh, I'd say, though, if you... I would show this to
0: a 12-year-old. Okay. All right, I got you. All right, that's. I'm glad you clarified that because <laughs> yeah, it's, you want to give like a first grader or like some visions of the tall man. If
1: I was going to show a first grader a film, I would show them like Frankenstein or Dracula.
0: Yeah, or yeah, show them something nothing with so blood
1: much. W- and you know with not much w- with very little on screen violence. Uh, but if I was going to up it to somebody, or who you know, was... or
0: or show them like a, uh... I could see like a kid watching like one of. Uh... I mean, when I was a kid, I really liked a movie like Beetlejuice, you know, because that, and that's kind of a horror comedy, I guess. But that has some scary imagery.
1: It Has scary imagery. It's it's, well,
0: again, the, the things yeah. that stay. The things there are very few that would things be that, can that, stay that would be scary. between
1: that twelve-year-old and
0: that first grader. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would hell when I was a kid, there. I thought Ghostbusters was really scary. Ghostbusters is kind of scary. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the things that I'm a little that i don't know if the remake will I'm, I'm that's what i'm a little bit worried about with that it's like how are you gonna are you still gonna be able to scare kids Jack, like it's one thing to have comedy but how about t- some really freaky dogs it's true this man has no dick well that's why I heard. <laughs> <laughs> all right so i don't know if i have much else do you have anything else to say about phantasm or any other movies talk i about? should
1: revisit it because has i it's want been a while it didn't make sense to me until I really thought about it again and, thought, and took this sort of dream angle. So I want I, to see yeah. it from the beginning, thinking about it the way I do. now.
0: I'd like to rewatch it at some point. I, I was a little tired when I watched it. Yeah. Um. But I I think like among the like the three horror films I watched, the dad was watching it, Candyman, Hellraiser, and Phantasm. I think Phantasm might have been my favorite. Okay. Um. What, so over Candyman. Oh, tiny bit, yeah. Huh. Like cool. ob- obviously the score of Candyman is is a gen- you know the fact that did, that didn't get nominated for like an Oscar is just insane.
1: Eh, horror so, gets no respect. No. If you You uh, have to have Anthony Hopkins in it or other, or you're just going to get passed over.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um or or if you're Johnny Depp and Sweeney Todd or something. Yeah. Um so if you uh agree with us or if you thought any of these movies were scary or you think were insane for better not... yet
1: if you were a child and saw any of these films yeah talk that's a about good idea. here's what I'd love for you to do if you have talk about your experiences yes tell us about your childhood
0: no uh, <laughs> the, the wages of cinema psychology if you edition. were a
1: person if you were a child and you watched horror films and if they scared the bejesus out of you or if you were just ate them up Tell us about that
0: because that would be a fascinating uh, It's fascinating thing to for hear.
1: me because I did not grow up with horror. I did not see I did not seek out horror films until I was an adult. Yes. So I would love to hear your perspective. What was and, it like
0: to suddenly chip away at the you know, oh my god, what is that factor? Like the the, the, the idea of I have not seen that before. I'm legitimately scared, and this is going to give me nightmares. Because yeah. I mean, I've I've actually read a couple of reviews where people have said, "Oh, Hellraiser gave me nightmares." Yeah, and that's that's fine. Like, did you see it as a kid or did you see it as an adult? Um, yeah, if you let us know that, send us an email to wagesofcinema at com, or on Facebook at Wages of Cinema Podcast and Twitter at Wages of Cinema. Also Instagram. You can check out some fun images that I try to post from some of the movies we talk about. And we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. So please check us out there and give us a review if you're on iTunes. Um, so yeah, when we come back next time, we're entering into summer, buddy. Yep. Uh, and it's only, it's, it's still spring, but Hollywood says it's summer now because Marvel rolls in with the good old Civil War this time around. Oh, yeah. We're going to bring you a
1: review of Captain America
0: Civil War. I'm
1: looking forward to it. Yeah.
0: Uh, Captain America
1: is a favorite of mine. Yeah. And
0: we'll see how it goes. Like, I am I might be a little bit more of a Tony Stark guy, so we may have to go head to head here, buddy. Yeah.
1: So, But, you know, that May 7th, when we are going to re- give you that review, that's free comic book day. So that will give you a clue as to our next episode. Yeah.
0: Uh, so hopefully you listen to that guys and until then I'm Jack I'm Andrew and remember the wages of cinema is spooktacular and it may or may not be a dream Ooh. <laughs>